You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Greetings. This is a message from Dr. Alan Honlove of the Good Catch Institute. The weather is getting colder, and you're still desperately one-hanging your fall project. Or maybe you've decided to do something easier, but more miserable, like ice climbing. Isn't it time to renew your commitment to your belayer with something more than an occasional high-five? Good Catch is here to help you reinvigorate the foundation of what brought you and your belayer together in the first place. Our expert staff here at Good Catch suggests that you create a safe, warm space for your belayer with the belay parka and stance belay pants combo from our friends at Black Diamond Equipment. The BD belay parka features two layers of insulation, a two-way zipper for wrapping that belay device, and huge internal pockets where your belayer can keep your shoes warm for your next go. The stance belay pants bring the heat with side zips to get in and out even with crampons on. Being wrapped in the BD belay parka and stance belay pants create the feeling of a warm hug from a trusted loved one without the actual human touch that might, you know, give your belayer the wrong idea. But nothing says, Uh, dude, I'm just going to try this part one more time. Like some bomber insulated outerwear from Black Diamond Equipment. Check it all out at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. And remember, if you are cold, they're freezing their ass off. Some people swear that there's more to life than climbing. And though I'm skeptical, I think I know what they're talking about. The approach to and from the climbing. Which frankly, can sometimes feel like you're just walking. But then other times, you're feeling pretty gripped and wondering, is Anna going to be pissed if I make us break the rope out? Well, here's a pro tip. Anna's probably thinking the same thing about you. So why not end the game of who's the chicken chicken and just get the damn rope out? You can also let Sportiva hedge your bets with their legendary TX line of approach shoes. From the almost a climbing shoe performance of the TX Guide to the street comfort of the TX4 and the featherweight impeccable Descent Master TX2s, Sportiva's approach shoes are all built for the abuse of proper walk-up, top-out, and descent can dish out. But what's more, the sleek style will be a wink and a nod to those other climbers at that forced lowland social engagement who are also running beta in their heads while everyone else talks about work. So shop and compare the TX line at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop and make your every step feel like an approach to adventure. To adventure. Hey, 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 is somebody going to let me out of here? Hello? Listen, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. Very That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee. 
and to support the Enormacast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is the 14th of October, 2022, about 9.30 here in the basement. Not my mom's basement, my own basement at least, here in Colorado. And this is, it is, it's I own this basement, it's fine. <laughs> anyway, this is episode 250.5, a tweener. It's another tweener episode. We don't do bonus episodes here at the Enormacast. We do tweeners, the in-betweeners, because everything is on the feed. There is no bonus here at the Enormacast. The entire catalog is free. It's all there for you guys anytime you want it for free, except the first 40 or so episodes are not on Spotify. You don't need to email me about that. If you want to listen to them, just use a different app. They're on all the other apps or they're at the website. I don't exactly know why they're not there. I've been told some methods to get them over there, but uh, you know how it is when you get into the PHP files and the and the codex and all the different things. I, I I can't do it. So it's easy. Just go to the website if you want to hear those if you're on Spotify. All right? Thank you. Oh, and if you think getting all this stuff for free is a bad bargain for me, well, you can go over to the website at normacast.com and donate if you wish. Easy enough. Click on there. Give me a little money. A couple bucks here and there. Really adds up. All right. So this is episode 250.5, and it is a catch-up with... Braun Hodgins and Jacob Cook. If you recall, a few months ago, I had Braun on the show. Did a great episode right before she left with her crew, including her husband Jacob, to Greenland for several months, weeks, months, a long time. And uh, they just disappeared into the ether. They didn't have any sort of sat link up where they were sending out Instagrams and live chats or anything else. They just went there and disappeared and then came back. Although Jacob was apparently communicating with his mother through InReach. Invalid salad. So I thought I'd have him on just to catch up to find out what happened on that trip because she previewed it just a few days before they left. And that's what we got here on today's tweener. An adventure story. Kayaking. Fjords. Giant portages. Big walls. Fast and light. And slow and heavy. Both kinds. All sorts of adventure with Braun and Jacob and their crew on their Greenland Odyssey. Welcome back to uh, Dry Land. How long have you guys been back? Pretty much exactly a month now. Just mm-hmm. starting to get into the swing of things in like normal life again. It was a long trip. I mean, it you was guys a were... really long trip. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the way it worked out is that I talked to Braun basically like days before you left or only a couple, I think. Yeah, this might and... be a bit of a time warp because I <laughs> talked to you, went on this huge trip that seemed to last forever and then came back and I'm talking to you again in the same closet. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so it's like no time is best. You know, I think, I don't know, I, I sort of in your introduction, because I, I went ahead and put your episode out while you were gone and just like, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, yeah, there she's out there. They're out there somewhere you know and 
you weren't doing the thing really where you were, um, you know, connected the whole time, you know, which more sort of heavily media kind of things do. They, they make sure there's satellite connections so we can be catching up in oh, real yeah, time. And you guys were updated with the, with the live Instagram. Yeah. From- that's honestly like part of the drawer of the, of the really long trips is like the full disconnect. Like we had, we obviously had the in reach, like the sat text device, but it's but like a safety. It's more like a safety thing, and I'd message my mom and stuff, but it's not like a, there's no Instagramming, which is <laughs> a, definitely a plus. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's a little bit old school, which I totally appreciate. You know, my dear friend Hayden Kennedy used to send postcards, even, you know, in the modern age, because he felt like there was just this uniqueness to it. And, um, you know, and sometimes they would literally arrive. Actually, most of the time they would arrive after he got home, cool. but you'd still get this like, little thing with you know postmarks on it there yeah, was a like romantic physical object to it. is cool too yeah yeah totally and uh you know i still have them which is awesome too but yeah so i appreciated the disconnectedness even though i looked and uh <laughs> i was like okay maybe they'll send something but it was sort of fun just to be like yeah she's out there in the podcast and and hopefully it's going well you know because you're always i mean even someone like me is remote a relationship as we have you know it's like easy to worry there's mm-hmm. a lot that could go wrong as you guys are fully aware, but it appears that it did not. So let's just, uh, let's just stick with that. You guys are all smiles. So that's good. Um, so one of you maybe just run us back down on the expedition. I don't know. I can't remember how many details we got Braun, with your episode, but, um, who went, um, how long were you guys out there? What were some of the objectives maybe before you left? And we'll talk about whether those were met or not. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so we spent basically the whole summer this summer in Greenland, and the the plan heading out there um, was to sea kayak from Umanak to Upernavik, which are two communities on the west coast, um, and they're about 400 kilometers apart. So we were sea kayaking from the southern one to the northern one, and just all the way along that route, there are huge granite cliffs like rising straight out of the ocean, and so the the kind of main uh, kind of draw and excitement for the trip was basically approaching these walls by sea kayak and climbing some of them en route as we as we explored the coastline and yeah we you know had some ideas did a lot of research uh beforehand jacob especially gets really excited about kind of google or thing and doing a ton of uh kind of <laughs> see who else has been there what cliffs are most likely to go and what cliffs have been climbed before that side of background research jacob gets yeah and uh, I tend to kind of take over the more like menu planning and logistics planning and, and kind of transport. And, yeah, there's, and... there's almost like a handover moment in the, the prepping of the trip. It's sort of like I do all this research and like write all these these grants and come up with these ideas. And then Bron kind of takes over and like <laughs> makes, makes, it, it makes it actually happen. <laughs> Um, you know, you need yeah. the dream. You need the dream and the inspiration. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so, I, th- so- I think we've ta- talked about your relationship before in that sense. And, <laughs> and, and again, like, you know, one of the things, the, the sort of superpowers that I've remarked on that, that Braun brings to the, to the game is that, you know, from her upbringing, oh, yeah. um, doing these, these whitewater expeditions and things like that. And, and it just, yeah. it really is like a, such a boon to an expedition because usually climbers, you know, that's like, where shit falls apart. Yeah, the spreadsheet the <laughs> spreadsheet game is is on point. Yeah, and yeah. and just to have her and her ability to do that is is just yeah. is awesome and, totally. and a real rare thing. So yeah, um, well, I think I have to do a little it. shout out to team member Zach on this one because I was actually kind of ended up overbooking myself a little bit this spring trying to do some guiding and coming back from 
a, like a lot of traveling all winter. And and he definitely kind of slid in there and, and actually ended up being a bit of the mastermind on the sh- spreadsheets end of things when he saw how busy I was. Yeah. So who else was on the on the expedition and, and talk a little bit about their their roles? Yeah. So we were a team of six. And yeah, kind of as always with with planning these things like I'd, I want to go with people that that have good skills. But, you know, the main thing is going with with friends, um, people that I think I'm going to get on with well for for two months and of kind of uncomfortable conditions. So yeah, we were six. There was Zach who we've been on numerous big expeditions with now. And and he would tell you that like, he doesn't know why he's invited because he's like not a very strong climber and not a very strong paddler, but he's like kind of essential. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. And then we had Kelsey, who's another one of Bronwyn's childhood friends. We seem to just enlist Bron's childhood friends uh, (laughs) and like bring them on these huge trips. And they're just like, okay, yeah, sign me up. Well, Kelsey um, and I had actually like actually done the like m- yeah multi month kind of river trips together as teenagers. Okay. So I kind of already knew that she could handle a kind of really long, really remote trip and um and be Did like. Did you really climb El, El, so. El Gavilan with this same woman? Yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. Okay. So then That's she got really into climbing, up. and then that right. made really really excited because now we can climb together. Um. So our friendship kind of. And um, then and then we had Angela. Uh, Angela Van Wiemisch, who I, I think you've had on the Enorma cast. Oh yeah, of she, course. Yeah, mm-hmm. ice climber, alpine climber, kind of. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't I guess, know like, she was gone. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. She was she was part of the team. So I guess like cool. Ron and Kelsey hung out with her a bunch in Mexico while they were climbing Gavilan. Yeah, and, and the came three out of them, one. the three of them, I think, got on really, really well. Um, and kind of made, made yeah, sense to, yeah to, to bring her along as well, and her and Kelsey especially are like best buds they, they kind of shared a tent the whole time together and, and it was then, cool too because i guess like all of our bigger trips up up until this point it's been like me and a bunch of dudes and basically this trip was half and half like three ladies three yeah. oh great guys so. yeah and then yeah, the final uh, team member was jaron fam who was he's like a friend from squamish and he's a very good cameraman and uh like film filmmaker and photographer so he he was manning the camera for the most part um, or he was yeah. kind of like head camera and then Jacob and I, especially yeah. Jacob, do a lot of the camera stuff too. But yeah, it's I, nice to have that role shared a little bit. Baffin Island was a little intense trying to make the whole film and be on the trip all myself. So this time it was great to have someone else to kind of take it on a bit. Jaron was down in, in Kojima with you too, right, Bron? Jaron was down in Kojima. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, you guys are like, yeah, it's this whole networking thing that, you know, you make friends and, and go on expeditions together. It's got to be a lot of fun out there. Yeah, you, you could call it networking. Yeah, I, I think making friends. I prefer making <laughs> yeah, it sounds friends, like very yeah. business-like networking. I'm like, <laughs> no. I'm just choosing friends I have fun with and going on bigger and bigger things with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> the friends network. That's yeah, it. sure. All right, well, cool. So so let's let's just stage a few moments in this um, and you guys can, can tell some stories. But, um, you know, you just mentioned like you dreamed, you schemed, you talked to the peoples. I'd imagine you talked to like nico and that crew mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. Yeah, you know lot. just trying to find information from all over and then um you piled all the stuff in and just to tell me a little bit about sort of hitting the water and excitement trepidation because this this climbing thing is is interesting and you know that was sort of the goal but it's all wrapped in this paddling open water <laughs> and sea kayaks <laughs> thing which is you know it, it, that like seems to me to have so many more variables now Ron has experience with this. Kelsey has experience with this. Not specifically sort with sea kayaking. Of, yeah. We are not. Right. We, we were not experienced right. sea kayakers. Right. Uh, so yeah. So oh. tell me. You know. Again, the excitement, the trepidation. You, 
you paddle away from land, you know, or like you're out, you can see it obviously, but, um, what's it like out there paddling on the ocean and, and how did the first few days go? Um, as you left on your expedition. <laughs> I'll say the start thing and then you can bring the second part in. Sure, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So going into this trip, um, we definitely knew we were like a team of climbers and had quite a bit of like river paddling experience, but not so much like ocean savviness, I guess. So that was something during like the preparation we wanted to like take pretty seriously. Um, for sure, they're like kind of hazards and, and things to be aware of in sea kayaking and ocean paddling than that are different from say rivers. Uh, so just like making sure I'm talking to friends who there's a lot of sea kayaking on the West coast where we live here. So I have some friends that are sea kayak guides and, and that do a lot of that stuff. So just trying to get as much knowledge um, as we could going out there. We hoped that we would get more practice in the sea, in these inflatable sea kayaks, um, in uh, in the spring leading up to the trip, which ended up turning into like a scrambled couple of days and a, a three night trip with my family that came out for yeah. <laughs> for like so we a were lot. ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just in terms of like testing the boats and kind of getting an accurate like speed or a, a kind of an idea of like how much distance we could cover per day, because right. um, that was right. pretty unknown, just with like the amount of gear we were going to have on these like inflatable sea kayaks that were maybe not quite built for like this kind of extreme of, um, of, a, of a trip. And yeah, so definitely something we were nervous about trying to like get as much information as we could, but, um, so yeah, there's kind of a like level this, of confidence. There's I guess. kind of like this weird, like thing where you, you have to plan like as if your life depends on it and you do all of this, this planning, but that kind of only gets you like 50% of the way there. And then it's like, you kind of set out into the ocean on the first day and it's like, all right, like, what's going to happen now? And uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was not smooth. Like it did not go well. Like the first few <laughs> okay. days of the trip were like about as bad as they could be. Basically our boats broke on the first day. <laughs> two, two out of six boats broke on day one. We like, we paddled 10 kilometers out of 400, pulled over to camp for the night and we were like, oh, two of the boats have giant rips in the sides, which is really not ideal. So then we spent two days, days two and day two and day three, just like repairing the boats, basically. So we were on sat text with the manufacturer trying to get kind of information about like which glues to use. Luckily, Zach is like a soft goods designer. So and Angela as well. So Angela was involved in working with a different packraft company to, to um, build kind of packraft. So we, yeah, so we were sitting there by the side of the ocean for two days, not moving, like basically just sewing. We had a little sweatshop on the go, <laughs> and we were gradually breaking all our needles as we sewed through the, the boats, and we were like down to our last few needles. But basically, the boats broke because we were just overloading them, we, and we were strapping, we were tensioning stuff onto these attachment points on top of the boat, which weren't designed to have that much force on them. After that, we started strapping stuff just like all the way around the boats, like going under underwater kind of thing to, to hold all our stuff on. And, and then it was fine after and that. And then it was yeah, fine it was. after that. But it was definitely like, is this trip just going to end before we start? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a little worrisome. Yeah, it was, it was not a good start. <laughs> so you got that sorted out and, and, yes. and, and went back out in the ocean. So, so again, like just describe to me each day paddling and, and you know, just kind of what, what it was like, like nerve wracking or was it fine? You know, were there days that were, were big water and days that were smoother, things like that? Yeah. Um, so luckily the route, and this was part of it too, like knowing we had less experience, um, the route was pretty sheltered for the most part. We were actually following mm -hmm. 
inland fjords for pretty much the whole way. So we were going way down this one fjord. And then we actually had this like overland um, carry, like portage, which then brought us over into the tip of the next fjord that then brought us out to sea on the other side. And so the only kind of open coastline paddling was like kind of right at the start and right at the end. Um, and the rest was like pretty sheltered. Um, but what this did mean was that we had this overland um, portage for 20 kilometers um, in the middle of the trip, which we knew was going to be fairly challenging considering how much equipment and food we had. And yeah, it was kind of terrible, but yeah, <laughs> I think this trip was like definitely the most sustained physical discomfort of my like life. Exertion, physical yeah, exertion. Yeah, like just like sitting in the boats for like 12 hours a day is kind of uncomfortable and like I've got a really bony butt and it was really sore <laughs> uh, and like you're kind of wet. A lot of the time we had dry suits, but like kind of just like sitting in the water and, and so yeah, it was like kind of hard in that way because it just went on for so long just like getting getting back in the boat every day kind of thing. So we basically but, ended up kind of having only like just enough time basically to like yeah cover the distance that we had to and we were a bit behind schedule after the boat shenanigans and so we really ended up like no rest days pretty much <laughs> having almost no rest days for two months and when you and that's not just like doing some casual exercise in between it was like all day every day yeah like start of the day after breakfast to like late dinner you're just paddling the whole time or portaging the portage took a week carrying three loads so doing 20 kilometers like you know five times because if you're doing three loads you have to cover that distance five times like going there and then back in from there so that took a week and then paddling on the other side we basically would plan our rest days strategically that we would arrive at a cliff that we were really psyched about and we would have a rest day there which actually was just like a prepare choose your line pack day and then we would climb the cliff and then we would have like maybe one rest day depending it would be a bit weird because the push might have been more than a day and then we would like immediately get back in the boats and like keep going again. So it just was like kind of like unsustainable, I guess, and going like kind of that intensely for like that long. And we basically got home and slept for a week and kind of have maybe reset now. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it was kind nah. of like like really like just like kind of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a bit too far, I think, possibly. Yeah. Well, let me ask you guys then about you know your coping mechanisms and and a lot of times this i think has to do with personality you know like long expeditions where things kind of start to grind like people deal with it in different ways they shut up they get goofy they get cranky or or whatever like tell me a little bit about how you feel you know when you feel it coming on and you're just like you got to put your head down like what kind of what kind of people are you guys like what's your coping out there when you're nine hours into paddling what's what's going on in your head jacob yeah i don't know kind of i mean i i i think just keeping keeping sight of just like how absurd the whole thing is you just like because it's all like it's all kind of pointless ultimately you know like we just decided on this challenge and it's like you can come up with like motivations like oh this journey made sense for this reason or this reason but ultimately it's like we just kind of decided to do this like kind of ludicrous thing that's really really hard um and just keeping sight of like how bizarre it is kind of thing it's like quite funny and i kind of get really happy on these trips i I find that (laughs) i I, like i just get into the swing of things and like a lot of like your daily like stresses kind of fade away and you're just dealing with like all right well are we going to make it this last like 10k to the campsite or are we going to have to camp closer or like 
you're just kind of dealing with like what's going on immediately. And I think I find that a lot easier than dealing with like, oh, I need to pay this bill or the, you know, I'm going to go to court in six months time, you know, like, like, the, the, <laughs> extreme examples. Well, yeah, but like, but like, Wait, like what happened? Much <laughs> <laughs> no, that, was just, that was just an example. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, all right. That's but, fine. Uh, but like, but like that stuff is much. Oh, harder we didn't mention like... Zach didn't come home. That... <laughs> Zach's still in jail. <laughs> in a rage. Yeah, but, no, but I killed think him. I get what you're yeah, but just dealing with like immediate, immediate right. uh, problems is like kind of much easier in some ways because you're just in it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the more like present and the more challenging, like exactly that endeavor is that you set your mind to then like you don't really have space for like worrying about other stuff like going on outside of that in in your life otherwise like planning what's happening next or realizing you like forgot to do these things or this there's so many ways we're being pulled all the time when you're just like in normal life um that it's like kind of hard to break free of that and because i really didn't feel like i had a lot of extra (laughs) bandwidth bandwidth yeah that it was really just like the most sort of living in the moment present, like basically that what I had capacity to think about was, was like day to day. And and you develop these like amazing bonds too, like the, the kind of friendships, like, you know, the, the six people that were on this trip, like we have this kind of like, only we know what it was really like, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, you have this kind of lifelong bond with the people you're out there with. And I think that's quite special. And that's definitely one of the big draws of these, these trips for me. Before we get to the climbing, I'll, uh, one mm-hmm. last question yeah, about the, the, yeah, the yeah. paddling um, <laughs> is, what's that? I said climbing podcast. Yeah, people might yeah, know. I know. Yeah. Well, it, I, like I said, this whole paddling thing is the mysterious part of it all. So <laughs> I know how to rock climb. Everyone listening knows how to rock climb. Like what about, I mean, what sticks out in your mind as far as like, you know, something extraordinary that you remember from the paddling or effective in your brain or something you saw or you know what what do you what do you remember from that um that we'll see in the movie if you will or something like that yeah okay i've got kind of two things actually that came to mind with that um yeah i think that uh kind of something that was sort of a theme of the whole trip i guess um which i i really enjoyed so we're up quite far above the arctic circle We've done a number of trips kind of up around the Arctic Circle before, but this was quite a bit further north. And so the sun really was, I mean, we arrived at the, like, the late June. Um, and so the sun really does just do, like, circles above um, above your head, not really, like, dipping below the horizon at any point for the entire time that we were there. And with the paddling, it was, like, extremely important to kind of time ourselves with the kind of the forces of nature. So that's basically, like, winds and tides. Uh, and tides are on like a 25-ish hour cycle, um, and the winds typically were stronger in the daytime, weaker at nighttime. And so just like the whole concept of 24-hour clock is like even more relevant because it actually like is like a bit, it's like hindering to try and limit ourselves to that to that schedule and, and really like uh, trying to push off with the, with the night tide essentially. Um, and like quite often we would just paddle in, in the middle of the night when the wind was the least and making sure we were timing it to get the biggest rush of the tide in the correct direction. It kind of just like makes us almost sense of like timelessness a little bit. Um, and just like breaking free of that sort of schedule that we're all bound to at all times. And I, I think I really enjoy that aspect of like Arctic travel. And it's just like amplified even more by like having to follow these other cycles that are just actually not corresponding. So we lost we lost four yeah. days. So that was the, the cool trip. thing. So we we actually had a sixty five day trip, but our, our 
our lived experience with 61 days um 61 which, sleeps uh, yeah, yeah oh right because so, um, <laughs> it just yeah because it just got off it got onto your yeah, own schedule yeah you just get off and yeah. you gradually yeah. lose a day we like right. like slowly lose days and then a couple times we had these and we'll get to the climbing soon but like a couple times we had these kind of outrageously long climbing pushes that then also just totally you know set us at some random time when we woke up like the following day but as like a theme of the overall trip that I think is like a cool thing to talk about, just kind of this mm. like structureless, timeless, like things were moving and we were like going forward, but, but it really didn't follow any sort of like regimented. Well, it's nice um, to be basing your timing off of the, the landscape that you're trying to move through. It's almost like the 24 hour clock is this just like random thing that, that just. Well, it exists yeah. in the rest of the world. Well, it exists the sun, in the rest of the it world, exist but there. it's like, yeah, it's, it's just becomes meaningless. And it's, it's nice to be basing your movement off of like what actually matters, you know, like while you're out there. That was cool. Mm. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> nice. Not quite the kayaking, but like it felt like as a part of the journey, sure, a bit more yeah. than like climbing specific. Yeah. Um, yeah. You should talk about like the mist and that experience. Yeah. The moment that stuck out to me the most was, was our first kind of like open crossing. So uh, over the course of our journey, we had a few like big open crossings and obviously it's much, much more committing when you're not right next to the shore. So like in the middle, you know, this particular crossing was, I think, about six kilometers. Yeah, so nothing too big. But... Um, and so in the middle, you know, you're three kilometers any direction and you're in the Arctic Ocean and it's like pretty cold. You, you know, you wouldn't last long swimming or whatever. I don't think we've mentioned yet that there are also just icebergs all around well, us. Well, exactly. So, <laughs> so this, this particular <laughs> this crossing, added your image. just before we started the crossing, the, the fog came down and we were in basically full whiteout. And we were aiming for this island that was six kilometers in this one particular direction ahead of us. And if we missed the island, we were like going to Baffin, you know, like you really can't miss the island. And we obviously couldn't see it. So we were just like setting out into the fog. And also it was in, in this ice fjord. And so there was like basically more icebergs than there were not icebergs. So like you're just weaving through this like maze of icebergs, trying to follow this compass bearing to hit this particular island. Um, yeah, that was definitely, and it was like totally calm. That was the other thing. So we were just in this, like, for, I'm totally taking over from you. No, but no, no, this, moment, this moment was really cool. It was totally calm. And we felt like we were in like an ice box, just like totally enclosed by these, um, these icebergs that were just slowly like kind of bopping around us. And we were like weaving in around them and like very cold, but totally silent and couldn't see anything. And we're just like following this bearing like towards whiteness with these huge white sculptures like rising out of the whiteness. It was like pretty, yeah, pretty cool. Definitely like the most out there moment, I think, of like mm -hmm. the, the entire trip. Yeah. Was, was there a danger of being squashed or are you guys nimble enough? Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To get squashed. <laughs> Basically, Wh yes. Which one? <laughs> totally, yes, you can get squashed. Totally, yes, you can get squashed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you don't want to go. You don't up go too near close. the big ones. To, yeah. to ice, yeah, because they do basically, we were there in the summer months, so they do like uh, cap off. Mm -hmm. um, and so you don't want to get hit by like a chunk that's falling off of the iceberg. And they did, like we saw them mm -hmm. regularly, either rolling over or like big chunks of them fall off. But yeah. you, just, you just try to not go close to the to the big ones. And yeah. sometimes they make waves, like if the big chunk falls off near you, it makes a big wave. But, but the waves seem to dissipate pretty soon. No, it's yeah. basically just like don't be close enough that like the ice chunks will actually land on you. It's basically like a floating Serac, like it's yeah. just dead. Like yeah. that's what sure. it is. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was cool actually that not that time because it was so cold that day with the, the inversion, but, um, some of the other days we actually had a bit of a heat wave in the middle of July and we were paddling past, um, a bit more like kind of dispersed icebergs. And there were a few days that were just really quite hot and icebergs were just collapsing 
all like <laughs> like all day we would just watch and they, if a big piece falls off then the, it upsets the whole balance and it just has this like huge slow motion roll and we, we call like, we call that iceberg tv <laughs> we call it iceberg tv live 24 <laughs> yeah. hours a day if you're just like paddling not really much <laughs> then but yeah this one day they were just or the couple of days in the middle of july they were just like breaking and doing these huge rolls these massive icebergs so it's pretty cool yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds otherworldly, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and sure. worth worth the price of admission. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, let's move over to the climbing a little bit. Tell me about the objectives, and then uh, you know, let's go chronologically, or however um, we can jump around to uh, what you actually got done and and what the climbing turned out to be like. The kind of main end goal of the climbing was to climb this big cliff kind of near the end of our journey called Kaososuak, or which I'm probably saying wrong. It, the, it's also called Sanderson's Hope. Um, and it is the, was the, like some white explorer who came and named it Sanderson's Hope, but it's locals called it Kaososuak, which is a much better name. Um, and that's like this 900 meter cliff that was near the end of our journey. And we had some information about it. It had been aid climbed twice before and kind of like the, the goal of our trip was to, to free climb it. But also the kind of, secondary goal of the trip was to do some climbs in in alpine style along the way of just like cool stuff that we saw and, and obviously like that's really hard to plan for because a lot of our trip went through areas where there's just no information like probably people have been there at some point for sure i think locals have, locals have been in there yeah. but no one's been there with climbing yeah. in mind for sure and so we just kind of didn't know what we would find and, and in some ways that made it hard because it's like well should we climb this awesome right. cliff that's right here or maybe there's an even better one around the corner, but then the better one around the corner turns out to be Chas, and you're like, oh, we should have stayed at that one. So that was that was hard, but but um, yeah. So then basically we did a we did two sort of alpine style pushes on the way as we were six people, so we were two teams of three for those those climbs, and then we spent the last sort of almost four weeks climbing uh, KSL Swag. What were the the mis- the early missions like the the alpine style ones? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you um, find? So, Probably the one that the one that stands out the most is is, is Redwall. Yeah, yes, you want you want to talk about yeah Redwall. Yeah, we don't yeah. skip the other ones, but yeah, basically, uh, kind of like we knew this going into it that the rock basically gradually got better and better quality um, through through the journey, which was kind of motivating to get the distance in the paddle in the first kind of half, and then start like kind of picking objectives and climbing in the second half. And it really was like very obvious, like we were kind of spent the first three weeks or so like paddling past like big but kind of chossy cliffs. And then we did this like week of portaging over this height of land. And as soon as we put in on the other side, the rock just like dramatically changed quality. And it was just like these incredible, like kind of red granite domes. It kind of started with there's like very good, like quality bullet hard and red granite. And so we immediately got like really excited about that. And um, pretty much right away did like a kind of small mission uh, split into teams and put up two kind of moderate routes up these sort of 200 to 300 meter faces. That was kind of like, we just got antsy and excited and wanted to climb something. And then uh, after that, yeah, we basically just kept paddling and the cliffs just got bigger and bigger um, as we were paddling northward, which was pretty motivating, pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it came around the corner of the fjord. And and, and a- actually, so like part of the story, which we didn't didn't get to is that I, I'd actually been to the, this, the area where we started before in 2013. It was like, a, so nine years ago, I'd been to the earlier area and I, and on that trip, I'd wanted to go to 
the northern area around Uponovic, but our boat, we were on the sailing boat and our boat broke and we weren't able to make it there. And I had this photo of this wall called Red Wall. And uh, it it just like, it, I've been looking at this photo for like the last nine years, I guess, or 10 years, because I was looking at it for the year before I went on that trip. Basically, when Jacob and I started dating 10 years ago, it was his desktop background, this, like, red wall. Yeah. It's just this, like, it, yeah, I don't know. It's just really, really striking, like, rising straight out of the water, this, like, huge uh, kind of dome. Like, 400 meters. Yeah. So that, that was one of the main, major things we wanted to climb. So came around the corner, and that was there, and that was kind of, like, the big, the, the big alpine-style climb we did. And, uh yeah, basically me, Jaren, and Zach, so boys team. <laughs> we, we split go- boys team boys, and girls yeah, team. Yeah, boys team, girls team. So we, <laughs> we climbed the wall in about 28 hours, and, and it was pretty hard. And we, we, we kind of were planning to do a new line, but then we, our new line didn't quite go according to plan, and we ended up uh, sort of climbing onto a line put up by uh, Nico, Favres, and Bendito. Um, and we repeated that, and we were sort of like 28 hours round trip, and we... We felt like we'd done pretty well. We were pretty pleased with ourselves. But then we just got totally outdone by girls team who were still up there um, 28 hours in. And they and we got them on the radio. They were like, yeah, we were like about halfway up. And they didn't have any bivy gear. And well, we had emergency things. Bronwyn will now take over the story. Yeah, so Kelsey, Angela, and I like set off up a new, a new line. There were a few established lines on Redwall already, but nobody had climbed the kind of right part of the face. And so we kind of like picked out a line to go for on the right part. And it's like 24 hour daylight and we already lost concept of time. So we just like started and we're like, all right, we'll see how long this takes. We had like emergency things. Like we had our big puffy jackets and like those, the foil, the like aluminum foil, like emergency bivy bag things. But yeah, we basically like ended up climbing pretty slowly, getting slowed down by a number of kind of hard pitches near the beginning. And we were like, aid climbing is like finger cracks that were filled with dirt and like cleaning them out with like an ice axe and and then like at one point angela was sitting on her ice axe backed up by like a beak she like she was like beak beak ice axe and then like sat on her ice axe like and then ham and then hand drilled a bolt we had like a we just brought we had three bolts um and like a little hand drill kit to kind of as like a, a ballot option <laughs> when she ended up placing one off of like an ice axe so it just like went pretty slowly i guess the first half um, and we basically climbed all afternoon and all night and then arrived at this ledge halfway up in the morning. And it was an east-facing cliff, so that actually meant that we had sun on us. So it was really warm. It had been pretty cold climbing at night. So then it was really warm, so then we like n- kind of snuggled up on this grassy ledge and actually had an incredible sleep. I've never, I can't really call it a shiver bivy because I, I really like slept quite well. It was warm. We had sun like shining on us. We were sharing. Kelsey and I were sharing a bivy bag. We had our big puffies. There was a water drip that was like perfectly situated, like right next to this ledge. So we filled up our water bottles. Could have used a few more bars. We like kind of ran out of food. Yeah. And then we just like had this great sleep for like eight hours. <laughs> just like, <laughs> and then woke this up. This was like an unplanned bivy <laughs> out of food. Bron makes it sound like so chill. It's like very chill. <laughs> well, it's not like, yeah, it was very chill. And then we like woke up and we're like, all right, what are our options? And like, there was hints of like possibly a storm in the forecast and those had kind of dissipated. And so we just like decided to keep going upwards again, kind of route finding was hard. We ended up kind of going one way and having a bail and going another way. So it was still kind of slow. Um, we ended up climbing all night the second night and then got to the top on, I guess, what would kind of be like the third morning. But we had actually had like a full sleep in the middle. So it didn't feel like I didn't feel like that strung out, I guess. It just felt like 
we just like slowly were moving and time was passing and sun was circling and we were still moving. And then like, it like, it just didn't really matter. No one wants to go down. So we all kept going up and then, yeah, eventually we were like standing on the summit and we're like, Oh, that's, that's cool. Like here we are. <laughs> and then like hiked all the way down. I think we're on like hour 58 or something. And the boys like picked us up by kayak. Like they came and kind of saved us about two kilometers of walking at the end um, by picking us up. Cause they'd already been back and had to sleep um, yeah. themselves. And I think they came to pick us up, like, expecting us to just be, like, totally haggard. Because they were like, you guys just did, like, a 50-hour push. Like, well, I was pretty worried about them, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, like, just had a whole bunch of energy. We were super stoked. So we just, like, launched into storytelling about the route. And just, like, we were just really excited and totally awake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we named our route time as a construct. Because it really just, like, felt very suiting to, like, just, like, right this on. weird, like, kind of timelessness. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, so <laughs> your tactics were like hooker by crook, or were you cleaning cracks, and, and did you care about free climbing? I mean, did it make any difference? Um, Yeah, we kind of, like, weren't really. We were, like, free climbing up to right. 5.11, kind of, and then also mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, the cracks were kind of dirty, so the person, sure. like, going first would lead it, and then the follower followers would try and, like, send it, like, cleanly once it had been kind of, like, cleaned out on second, but mm-hmm. we weren't, like, trying mm-hmm. to leave the bitches again. There was an incredible, like, 12D finger crack. It was, like, pitch three or four or something that was followed cleanly that was incredible. Um, yeah, not really. Yeah, it was kind of like, right. yeah, get to the top. It's a different type um, of journey. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. But then but yeah. then I guess on Sanderson's Hope, we, uh, the, the final cliff, we, we kind of did want to try to see if we could free climb. Like, that was part of the challenge. I, well, I mean, I guess, like, challenge one was, like, don't die, get to the top try and do some free climbing with sort of like the, the order of priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after Redwall, we basically had like not that much further to, um, like we were a, a one day paddle, yeah. one, one like big From day Kerosor paddle, yeah. um, until we were at the base of Kerosor Swak. So we didn't have to take all of big welcome and like on the entire journey, we actually had shipped ahead of hand, the, yeah, the portal ledges and, portal ledges and, and, stuff. and yeah. static rope and a hull bags. Um, so just like the whole big wall shebang, um, so that we were able to like approach this in like a, in this like 900 meter cliff, um, in like a completely different kind of style. To begin with, I, I guess like we, we kind of camped opposite the wall and, and we sort of spent a couple of days like discussing options. Cause it's quite committing. Like once you kind of choose which line to climb, you, you're, you kind of like, it's quite hard to be like, Oh, actually this one wasn't a good choice. We should try that other one over there. So we kind of spent a while talking about that. And there was these two existing aid lines. And I talked to both of the teams. They were there in like 2000 and 2001. So like 20 years ago, uh, but we ended up settling on trying this line on the right side of the face that was new. Was new yeah. So like, no, as far as I could tell, no one had been up there. Um, and so we, we sort of, to begin with, um, the other four team members went to sort of pick up our big wall gear. And meanwhile, Bron and I got got stuck in, sort of like fixing ropes up the first little chunk of the face. And so this cliff is like it red wall as well, but it's like it really goes like ocean, and immediately cliff. Like yeah. so the we first were... pitch is like you belay out of the kayak to do the first pitch, and then like build an anchor quite low down and like haul the boat like out of the water, and like um, the kind of boat like kayak rock kind of transition like it's, it's, it's kind like of a slow a process complete nightmare in, in, like in the drive once you've established that it's kind of we leave the fixed line there and we can kind of use it yeah yeah um so yeah so we got we kind of got stuck in that and probably looking at the line i was like i don't know 20 percent that this thing is going to go free like it just looks like there's like some super blank sections there were these three cracks and these transitioning between the cracks it was just the, these big blank sections which could be like 
30 meters or 40 meters of, of traverse, you know? And I was like, wow, like, I guess we'll give it a go. Maybe we'll have to do some aid climbing, like, like who knows? Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we got up to the, to the first crack switch and there was just like this, just like perfect foot ledge, like half dome style, um, <laughs> you know, like thank God ledge style foot ledge just to like literally walk across. And it was like five, nine. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we just like, kind of just like couldn't believe what we found. And, and the, the, yeah, the rock was like by far the best rock quality we had all trip, like really, really nice cracks. And so we actually made really good progress and we managed to fix ropes like about halfway up the wall. I forgot to say the second unknown crack switch was when I was on lead and it ended up being five six. Yeah. It was like unbelievable. Like the, the Yeah, these just like like huge blank sections of wall just like turned out to just have these like really conveniently placed ledges that you couldn't see from the because they were kind of sloping and the light didn't really catch them. Yeah, yeah. it was weird. Um, and so, yeah, so we fixed ropes about halfway up the wall and then we decided to commit to the wall and build a kind of wall camp um, about halfway up. So those guys are back now um, and we kind of just start doing this um, a few days of basically just like shuttling loads up. But hauling was going to suck because like it was just, just like the wall was like not, it was the, kind the of bottom, slabby, the bottom yeah. chunk of the wall was like not well set up for hauling. So we basically just like jumad loads. It was just per- like really wear, nice wear a big backpack and like jug up and then wrap back down and mm-hmm. fill it up with more stuff and jug back up. And so, we, yeah, we established this wall camp, got up there and basically had one day of climbing and then just like apocalypse, like storm happened. And, and we kind of knew this was going to happen from the forecast, but I guess we were like just being optimistic or something. And there was also some, I think like none of us had ever actually sat out a storm in a portal ledge before. So we kind of wanted to try or... I thought I wanted to try. <laughs> um, so you have to realize, like, at this point, it's halfway through August. So we knew all along, like, we wanted to kind of push the kayak as much as we could. Because by this time up there, it's, like, starting to kind of, like, summer is over. And we're starting to transition pretty quickly into fall. And sure enough, yeah, we get we get up to our wall camp. And pretty much the next day, start getting snowed on. Yeah. And uh-huh. then we just spent, I think we spent four days just, like, sitting in the ledges. And it was... And two separate storms. We had quite like, miserable. <laughs> two day snowstorm, and then we had one day of where we were able to climb, and then another snowstorm. Yeah, um, yeah. The Porter Ledge flies like they're like not that waterproof, you know. Like they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were like quite wet, and like things were getting wet there. Um, and and also we, had, like, we were just ice on there. Yeah, yeah. Ice kept our Porter Ledge kept getting ice coating on the outside, and sometimes on the inside. And yeah, things were like quite miserable. And also like we, we kind of packed 10 days of supplies for the wall, expecting there to be some tricky free climbing up high or something and give ourselves a chance. And that time was just ticking down. And, uh, you know, we just like weren't climbing and we weren't climbing. And then it was kind of like the fourth morning of the of the storm. And it was still just like we were just like in this like it wasn't actively raining, but we were just in this like thick freezing mist. And we were kind of like, ah, uh, like. I was just but getting it kind of stopped. Like, I was just was getting like more and more antsy, like <laughs> to do something, you know, like partly just because I've been sitting still for four days, but also because like this objective was like potentially like slipping away. And so I just remember being like, "Guys, I'm, I'm thinking about going climbing." <laughs> and people were just like, "What?" <laughs> um, and so yeah, so we basically me, Bron, and Kelsey uh, sort of went up there in like just like the worst conditions imaginable and. Well, it wasn't actively raining. It had stopped. Like, it was, like, mist. Yeah, but it, the the rock was soaked. Yes. Like, 
literally like dripping. Our, our mm-hmm. route was like kind of a waterfall. We were actually able to fill up water from our route. Yeah, so we were just like leading these pitches in just like like terrible conditions. But then we just popped out above the storm, and the top of the top like two hundred meters of wall was like in the sun, and we were up <laughs> there at this belay, like the three of us. And we got they got on the radio and we're like, "You guys, like we're in the sun. You've got to come jugging. up here, start jugging." And they they were like down in the portal ledge camp, like still just like in the storm. And they were like, you, "Like what? what? Like, you must be joking." It was just this huge inversion and we just popped out above it and you could just see forever just like this inversion of clouds and the sun was just shining. It was like the kind of airplane experience you get when you like pop through the clouds and you're like above the clouds and in the sun. Yeah. Um, yeah, super cool. Um, and yeah, so like uh, we, we just like went to the summit that day and, and we had like a few shenanigans. Jaron, our filmmaker, like was was like leading the last pitch and, and like kind of was like taking some whips and like having a bit of a time. And then he ended up like hand drilling a bolt. So that was like a little bit of an epic. But like overall, we like, yeah, like we got up there and, and the climbing, we, we managed to free the route at like 5.11 plus, which is not all that hard. So it was like quite amazing. And then, yeah, just to be on the summit with all six of us after like, 40 days of paddling to get there and above this like cloud inversion was pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sounds super Kind of like a peak peak experience of some kind. Yeah. How far away from from uh, civilization were you at that point? Well, how much uh, more did you have to do? Not that far cuz the town at the end was it was about 15 kilometers. Yeah, the town the town's not that far. It's it's like uh, it's like cool. two islands away. And so yeah, so we were a very long way away from where we started, but not that far from from where we ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. which meant that that was kind of allowed us to have our all our big wall gear get shipped and we were able to kind of go pick it up actually just using normal um, freight like no private like yeah charging um but yeah. yeah basically stood on the top in this like beautiful kind of sunshine we could actually see over the top of the entire island because it's one of the high- tallest cliffs around um and so we could actually look and we could see red wall which was the cliff we'd climbed like what like a <laughs> three weeks earlier yeah um like over the top the backside we could see it like rising out of the ocean behind us and so um, yeah that that day was like 24 hours round trip from right because then we from court from portal edge camp to the summit and back down was 24 hours round trip and then we slept and then we got a forecast saying that basically we had it was going to start raining the next night like, it was like the a, next evening. but it was like apocalypse forecast like and so then we spent we had another 28 hour day of stripping just basically everything. stripping everything off the wall, taking all our ropes down, all our camp down, and then back into the kayaks, paddled back across the fjord to the to the sort of base camp stash area. And, and within an hour, it started. Yeah, like literally as we were getting out of the boats, the first raindrops were falling. And then it was like, yeah, the, the worst storm of the entire trip. Like, Ron and I were like lying on our backs in the tent with our feet against the, the wall where the wind was coming from just to kind of hold our tent. Well, and that's not even that bad. The other guys, like the oh, other yeah. guys, had their tents beside each other, and it, they they ended up kind of being in a, a river. Like there was like a runoff, the Flash stream like thing. overflowed, and just like basically they were like out <laughs> outside, like I think like in their underwear, basically like digging trenches with <laughs> with the ice axe to like divert the water from like not just so, like totally soaking them. <laughs> this is like after our like mega push to like get everything off the wall. So the timing was quite good, I guess. So yeah, we were we were very happy to not be on the wall when that was happening. And then we basically sure. just slept for four days in rainstorm and then paddled back to town. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> what a trip! Yeah, I mean, what like you know, uh, is is the sitting on the wall? 
in the in the snowstorm icing up like a low point um or the portage a low point like where where was it like i mean it's probably personal but where these these expeditions when they're as hard as that you know they have a like fuck this point just, of like what the fuck why did we do this or were you guys able to just you know whistle along like uh it was all I, just I part of the say deal I was whistling yeah definitely not <laughs> whistling i don't i don't really honestly like know where it comes from but i do find i kind of have just like this kind of like maniacal motivation to make these trips happen like once sure once i've decided like this is what we're going to try and do it's it's never i i i at no point on the trip was i like fuck this like i just want to you know like give up kind of thing it, and i don't know where that comes from but it, it's like it's to the point where sometimes i'm like a little bit like confused like i feel like i'm like watching my actions and i'm just like still going to make this thing happen which just seems completely like unlikely or impossible um but i think a little bit of this too is something we've kind of like analyzed coming back from this trip um compared to even like our our trip up to baffin island the few summers before was that actually in terms of like fear for our lives and kind of like the like the actual kind of like objective danger that we felt on this expedition was actually like relatively low so i kind of felt like it was like a lot of i mean it's still obviously quite a dangerous like setting uh, there's polar bears and stuff. Yeah, there's polar bears and it's still like big wall remote stuff. But the rock quality was incredible. There was no glaciers. I don't know. I just like I definitely felt much more afraid of dying on yeah. an Island than in Greenland, which is which was so like quite I nice. think that a thing that would make us turn around, which which we did bail off a route in Baffin was kind would be kind of like the 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 like safety aspect. Um mm-hmm. whereas in this case, like the challenges that kept hitting up uh, hitting up against us were kind of just like physical exertion challenges and so you could kind of just like sure. buckle down and just keep plowing i guess i mean I- i'm definitely not trying to understate like for sure it was like a lot of risk assessment going on but all right and baffin you had to eat all that white water too jacob so, you know. <laughs> yeah and i think That's just the true. style That's we were climbing things in like a lot more kind of big alpine pushes on huge faces sure. where it's yeah like, i think the, the um, like alpine style alpine style first ascent alpine style like, adventure climbing is, cap size walls like is kind of like quite it's kind of like the most dangerous. It feels to mm-hmm. me like it feels like the least margin for error. And I guess we did do some of that on this trip, but climbing on in wall style, like bring the kitchen sink, have a portal edge camp you can re- retreat to. In some ways, it, it's like a lot safer. And that that's I, 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 like that was also a conscious decision going into this trip. I know mm-hmm. coming home from Baffin Island, I was like a little I bit like overstimulated. I don't like, think of... I want to do that again, kind of thing. Or, or yeah, just like differently. Yeah, I want if I if I go back to those places, I want to sort of like conduct myself a little differently because it just felt like, you know, you. There's only only so many times you can put yourself in that objective we, Basically, hazard. we got a bit lucky. Right. Like it's not like you have to get a bit lucky on a trip at like Baffin to come back alive. And I, I want to. I love going to these remote places, and I want to keep doing it. But I want to do it in a way where I'm not just getting lucky, you know. It's, um, and so, yeah, that I think that made it easier to be like not have the kind of like turnaround feeling mm-hmm. it's like actually this is like an acceptable level of risk mm-hmm. or whatever acceptable to us well let me ask you a question about like ending a trip like that and i mean you guys aren't necessarily people who do you know these things every year or even multiple times a year um yeah. and some yeah. climbers especially like sponsored climbers they do and i've always been curious about how you you know you sort of 
reflect on a trip and put it into a special place when you, you know, when you're already scheming or planning, you know, for the next trip before you're practically off. I mean, some people even have another trip booked and, you know, those nights run together. So as you're reflecting on this trip and maybe you've talked to your, your fellow team members about how they feel about it, like, you know, what, what are sort of like the, the really special things specific to this trip that you think you'll, you know, sort of tuck away and and always be like, yeah, that was that trip, you know, versus just this feeling of camaraderie or this feeling of success or anything else. But it's a little bit of a difficult question, but, um, you know, maybe just like a a, a point of when you're on the trip of having a, a moment of sort of epiphany of like okay this is why we came or that this is going to be special about this particular place style climb moment even yeah i definitely don't find i'm able to do these trips sort of like all the time and i found like i have a pretty consistent three-year clock where after one year i'm like hell no never doing that again that sucked and then another year goes by and I'm like, actually, yeah, that would be cool. That was kind of awesome. And I've like forgotten how uncomfortable it was, but I don't have anything organized. And then I spend the next year like planning to kind of make it happen. And then, so yeah, 20, 2025. Oh yeah. It's going to be a big <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some time. Um, but like in terms of like a, a takeaway from the trip, I, I think being in the kayaks in the, in the, in the fog in the ice fjord was kind of like one 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 moment that'll really stand out to me and then and then i think also like being on the summit with all six of us kind of like because it the goal always was to have this kind of like team experience you know and like climbing as a team of six on a big wall is like not not the most most efficient thing you could do like it you know like it was definitely (laughs) like it's kind of a clusterfuck having six people up there and all like or like you have to take steps to stop it from being a clusterfuck so a lot of the time when we were working on the wall we actually had like oh, ni- yeah. 19, 19, day, 19 team. day team <laughs> so we just have 12 hours kind of on where you'd be on the wall and there'd be three of us so it was me bron and jaron would be up there for 12 we were hours the night owls. we were the night team and then we'd switch and day team would take over and zach angelo and kelsey would be up and that way there's just like you know less people less overhead hazard of people above you and and like sure. you you know obviously only one person can be pushing the rope like leading at any one time or whatever so um but yeah like like kind of like doing it all together as a team of six uh and and felt at times a little ridiculous but like yeah. also ridiculous like, but also uh, like pretty and unique and, about yeah. the trip because you know like baffin island or, or other trips i've been on mostly i've been at the top of these cliffs like just with one partner or, you know like and so like to do it with all of us was was pretty cool and pretty special i thought Mm, you thought of anything Brock that's all all I got I can't just ride on on the Jacob's answer it was beautiful (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think the things that stand out for sure is kind of like the journey Um, I think that I mean, our climbing climbing days to to kayaking days were were definitely like that ratio was was heavily um, favoring the kayak uh, <laughs> like yeah. the kayak days Dave, in terms of days actually spent. climbing on dry rock on the trip was probably like five <laughs> so, out of one day, and then my thing was two days and then we probably no yeah okay I feel maybe, like it was maybe, like maybe eight, eight or nine or yeah, something eight eight um but <laughs> with that said like some i mean just like some of the best rock climbing especially oh redwall and our the last route is just it, it's like 
it's kind yeah. of like it's so good like i feel like i really hope like our photos do it justice or whatever and someone goes and repeats it one day because it's it's like honestly like the becky Shunard or something like it's split across and, and we were like so i long. guess like originally had in mind like we left ourselves quite a lot of we were like trying to leave ourselves enough like time and resources to be able to kind of maybe hit up against some 512 513 pitches but the fact that the whole thing is basically just sustained 510 511 it's kind of just like this outrageous like classic route i mean like there, it's just this like beautiful granite slab like totally unbroken following these hand cracks with with like unlikely ledge traverses and then and then we actually really wanted to the, repeat the route in a day at the end like yeah. we were kind of waiting in base camp mm-hmm. wondering if we'd get a window to just like go and rage because also like all the repels were set like it was yeah. ready to go and it would be so fun just to simul climb the whole thing in in like you know 15 hours or whatever yeah but it just um, ended up just never, getting so we just had rain for like four days and, so, um someone else should, but, should go and climb it <laughs> yeah it's kind of just outrageous and then and then the crux of the whole route it's actually it goes about 511 minus and then the crux of the whole route is like this unlikely slab boulder problem into an overhanging hand crack at 900 meters it's literally uh, the last like pitch. literally the last pitch is the 11 plus um which like when you're 900 meters above this like iceberg filled ocean like i don't know it's just like pretty epic i guess really cool yeah we're super proud of the line and it would be like incredible for someone to go out there and and uh, and repeat it and you can actually only paddle 15 kilometers and get to it if you don't want to do the 40 day thing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening. And, of course, thanks to Braun and Jacob for coming back on the show. Both of them have been on before. Braun twice. That was her third appearance. And their film is ready to go. It's going to be premiering November 2nd in the Brit Rock Tour. And you can find out about that at their Instagram, Brit Rock Films. Or, you know, just look on the internet. Google it. Brit Rock. There's three films in there, and one of the other ones is with uh, Anna Hazelnut, who was on the show earlier this year, or maybe it was last year. She was on the show. I know that. All, all runs together. So yeah, check it out. Brit Rock Films. Brit Rock Films on Instagram. Okay. Regular ep up in a few days, so stay tuned for that. And of course, check your knots. Visible objects are but as pasteboard masks. Some inscrutable yet reasoning thing puts forth the molding of their features. The white whale tasks me. He heaps me. Yet he is but a mask. Tis the thing behind the mask I chiefly hate. The malignant thing that has plagued and frightened man since time began. The thing that mauls and mutilates our race, not killing us outright, but letting us live on with half a heart and half a lung. God, keep us, keep us all. (laughs) 